Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message by Reverend Albert Okran. Kweku Bidwadu, the CEO of Stanchat. Kweku, good evening. Welcome to Springboard once again. Good evening, Albert. It's always good to see you. And I trust that we will learn something from you today. Let's start with the necessity. How important is a program for grooming corporate leaders? Yeah, that's very critical for the survival of any well-run institution. Um, Often you find people saying that companies in Ghana do not survive the, 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 found, the founders or the, the business owner. But you find that multinationals, um, the companies um, with foreign parents survive several generations, or foreign-owned companies tend to survive several generations. And it's because they build a, a system that grooms people for succession into the future. Um, and I think that's what lacks in our, in our society and culture. You hear words like pipeline. You hear words like fast track. Give us an idea about how far ahead they look. Let's, let's, let's start probably with your own case. When, when did the company start giving you an inkling of the kind of prospects that there were for you or the kind of future there was for you in the company? Um, I they, they would never really tell you, right? Uh, because it's a very fluid situation. Um, circumstances change, but I started suspecting something was up in 2001, maybe 15 years ago. Yeah, I think I just worked for the bank for about nine months to a year, whereabouts. That's when I started suspecting something was up. So you're saying that within a year of your being in the bank moves were made to begin to to push you forward, watch you, give us an idea about what it, what it entails. I mean, in broad strokes, when you say suspect, were you given extra coaching? Were you groomed? Were, were you exposed to, or what gave you that inkling? Just for the benefit of our listeners. Well, in my case, I was asked to go for a, what they call the senior credit workshop. And at the time, I was pretty, pretty junior at the time. So the people I attended the workshop with were, were pretty senior. And we actually credit approvers. I was not a credit approver at all. No one knew that. So I remember I went for the program in South Africa. So it seemed pretty odd to be asked to go for that program when I don't think I had done the... Um, there's the... The, 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 the highest level is senior credit workshop. I think there's an intermediate level one you have to do first. I hadn't even done that one. I was pretty new in the organization. I was just asked to go do the senior credit workshop. Then when I came back, I think three months later, I was asked to go back to South Africa for what they call the development center, where I was put together with other people who were already running businesses and functions and we observe over a three day period through several exercises. 
And at that time, I was still mid-career and pretty junior. But that's when I started suspecting that, okay, maybe there's something they have in mind. Or maybe they've seen something. What did that do for you? Did it put pressure on you? No, not not really. Um, I think it, it was a source of motivation that, okay, maybe we see some potential, but I, I've got to still justify it. Right. Because in, in our world, you're as good as the current situation. Right. So if I understand you, right, what you're saying is that knowing that the company had such a, a perspective about you made you determined to work hard enough to justify that opportunity that was being given to you. Yeah. You, you, much as you could get on a fast track list, you can also drop off that, that list. Right. Does it do anything for staff retention when you feel that such high value is placed on you? Does it help with retaining staff or or you staying in the organization? Does it does it does it have an impact? Yes and no. To the extent that there's transparency, it, it helps. And sometimes and nowadays there wasn't much transparency around that. But organizational culture has evolved. Uh, global best practice now. Um, dictates that the, the company is more transparent with its talent. But in the past, um, no. No one really talked about it. You, you, you kind of suspected that maybe you could be on some fast track list, but you still have to justify it anyway. Um, being on it was not enough. You, you, you had to justify it every year. How many years before you became CEO after that initial... You, you saw this in 2001. You became CEO in 2010. 10. So it was probably a decade. Well, I... You, more don't, or less. you don't just become CEO, unfortunately. Well, I, in 2004, I, I, I was moved out of Ghana to, to Zambia to head a business, to head the wholesale bank in Zambia. So that was the fir- first real test of my metal. Mm-hmm taking you out of your comfort zone into another country to run a business on your own, to be accountable for that business, to get board level experience, um, and to survive basically in, in a hostile environment. In the hostile in the sense that it's not you're not familiar with that territory. You've got to go there, build your own um, network, turn around a business that was not doing well. And so that was the first real test that I had. Right. I read something by Professor Linda Hill of, of Harvard uh, Business Review who said that the day the mentee tries to define the agenda of the mentor relationship, the relationship is lost. It's the mentee who should be an acceptable mentee and not the other way around, looking for a good mentor. You are the one who should make yourself attractive to, to the mentor. Along the line, I, I, I met somebody you called your coach a couple of years ago on, on, on Springboard. Yes. Help us understand, just for the benefit of our listeners. Well, um, as you move up the organization, um, the organization helps you to build up other leadership skills, right. uh, leading people, um, leading across different um, geographies or across different boundaries, um, communication, a whole host of uh, nuanced aspects of leadership. And that's where the organization sometimes gives you a, a personal coach to, to work with you, to, to as it were, up your game and help you. And all these global leaders that you see, uh, news and all, they, they, even 
president. They, they do have coaches. Right. Who work with them. Right. In our, in our earlier on, just before we started this particular series, we had a series um, called My Ideal Ghana. And Dr. Isiasa, one of our one of our resource persons, we're probably raising her late on the show um, just to bring her perspectives on this. She mentioned the need for um, a compulsory leadership development institute that trains and grooms people for public office because it seems that corporates spend much more time and effort on that than it than happens in the public sector. You seem to allude to the fact that there's a very structured, serious program for leadership development at the, at the corporate level with the multinational organizations. Yes, yes. It's, it's um, because the the for corporate organizations, especially for multinationals, the, the rule number one is you must always create value for the shareholders. So it's not something that is taken lightly. You, you don't just get there. Um, you, you go through the mill, basically, because once you get there, um, there's very little room for errors. You, you don't learn on the job, as it were. You, you should be quite ready to juggle all the balls that would come your way at that point. And that's why the, it's more structured. And I, I agree with her that we should do that in the public sector as well. We must groom leaders for the public sector. Um, I saw that when I lived in Singapore, that they had a very structured way of developing the senior cadre of their civil service. Extremely well developed, and to the extent that they competed favorably with the private sector for human talent. Right. Um, for the civil service. Right. Very well paid. Right. Yeah. My guest, Kaku Bidwado, is walking us through what it takes to become CEO. So far, he's been telling us that 10 years before he became CEO, he got the first inkling that there was additional attention being paid to him. And off record, he showed me uh, the, the report, actually, of what what was this, the analysis that was done on him. 34 parts. I mean, this is serious business. 34-point analysis of your person, your abilities, your strengths, and your weaknesses. And then, very importantly, a program for coaching you to realize your full potential. If you are listening tonight and you have plans big time of being at the top, you can't afford to take it for granted. Step out and begin a process of preparation. And you are, if you're a company out there and you have not identified five 10 people that you are grooming and coaching with this kind of perspective, then probably you're not securing the company for the next decade and beyond. I'm going to be walking to the role of the individual and very importantly, how all this has influenced my guest for tonight. Koku, let me find out. Earlier on, you spoke about how seriously the company takes this process. Let me find out about you, the individual, the role of a roadmap, the role of personal determination, that personal commitment. What what did you yourself bring to this whole matrix, this whole process? Did you have your eyes yourself on, on the top and did it guide the way you went about your business? Well, certainly. I, mean, I can share a very funny incident. When I, I was maybe about six weeks in the bank, and the CEO at the time was very popular across the country Vishnu Mohan yeah, so I just showed up at his office as this PA then Angela that look, can I go and see the, the boss he said 
Yeah, okay, sure, go ahead. So I just went in and asked them, uh, well, you, you are so, you have such a huge reputation on the market. People respect you so much. And I know you'll be leaving very soon. Um, would you mind sharing some of the success? What made you successful? And he said, sure. He said, do you mind if I take notes? He said, no. So he gave me about eight points, which I wrote down. Um, and years later, I think seven years later, as fate would have it, I was moved to Singapore. He was also in Singapore. So I had lunch with him. And I showed it to him. And he was so fascinated and excited about it. So yes, even way back then, I, I had that ambition. But it looked so remote, I must admit, in 2000. It looked extremely remote um, when I started out. I was talking to, I was talking to a very accomplished lawyer, a friend of mine, um, today, and he made a statement that touched my heart. He said, "Growing up in Nima, if he ever had dreamt that he would be one millionth of who he is today, if anybody had said it, he would have told the person, please forget it. It's just not on the cards.' And so, while he alluded to the grace of God having brought him this far, it was evident from the conversation that he had also made some very significant building blocks that had facilitated the rise to the top. Do you find that across board there there's a cadre, a crop of emerging leaders who know what they want, who are determined to get to the top and who are paying the price? Do you find that there are enough such people when you glance around um, corporate Ghana? I think there are hidden gems everywhere. Um, but it's just a question of the system also reaching out, creating the platform for them to develop to their full potential. Um, I, I, I have been fortunate in my career to always have bosses who made it quite easy for me to develop my potential. So I think that my advice to bosses is don't feel threatened by young talent. I love it when young people tell me I want your job one day. I absolutely love it. It's because you are very self-confident. You know who you are. You know what you have. And you've seen it work for you. Will that be the case across board? I think... I know, I know you say it should be, but is it the case across board? Well, I guess culturally, no. Probably people feel threatened by... The, as we call it in the corporate world, the young techs. When you see them, they're not too happy. But I think that young techs should be celebrated and be encouraged to take up the, the, the leadership positions uh, tomorrow. Because my bosses were extremely happy for me when I got into senior position, including Vishnu and all the guys who hired me. They're extremely happy for me. And we should also do that for the next generation, help them to develop their full potential and not feel threatened by them at all. Let me ask you about capacity, building capacity. So, yes, you get a sense that there is some potential, there's some interest in you, there's some eyes watching you, but you know that you're not a finished article. I mean, that was 10 years before you became CEO. In between that, that period, apart from what the bank or the organization will do, what is the role of personal development, building capacity or 
building competencies as a leader? Well, you as the individual need to focus on um, building, achieving professional growth. You know, that is the technical aspect of the work you do. You must grow in there and be good at doing that. You must aim at personal growth as well. What skills do you have? What skills do you bring to the table? And I'm talking skills such as communication, networking, influence. All those things matter if you want to be a CEO. You can't just, you know, get there and try to then develop that. Right. You need to be using, when the spotlight is not on you, that's when you should use it to develop those skills. Mm -hmm. And those are important skills to have. So, I mentioned a couple of them. I mentioned networking. I mentioned uh, communications. Right. I, many, I, I mentioned um, it's, it's important to to have influence because in that role, you must be able to carry people along. If you are not able to carry people along with you, it's going to be difficult for you in any leadership position. So right. you must establish influence. You must establish trust with various stakeholders. How important is it to know the key stakeholders in the matrix and the fact that sometimes <laughs> the expectations are actually at variance and how to work with each stakeholder. How important is that in your rise to the top? Absolutely important because there are five key stakeholders you us, al you always the, deal with no matter where you are. Give us the five. You will deal with the government no matter the country you are in no matter whatever. You always have to deal with some entity called government right. be it at the national level regional level, district level, you deal with government. Right. You will deal with regulators. Right. So you must always be ready. You will deal with employees. That's an important stakeholder. Then you have to deal with shareholders. Shareholders are always waiting for their return. And to give them negative return is not acceptable. They might accept it one year, two years, but after three years, they will lose patience with you. Right. So I've named four. Right. The final one is the community you work in or where you, you, you run your business. These five more or less captures all the stakeholders that you would ever deal with. Right. Well, obviously, and your, your clients and your customers. Right. So you kind of put them on the community. No, no, I'll put them separate. separate so so our clients, right. that will make it six, right? Right. Yes, that's, that's, that's an important stakeholder right. on its own. So you must always juggle the ball the balls in such a way that you keep all of them happy and right. it's not easy right and if, and if you miss out on any of them it could it could stifle your, your chance of, of arriving there yeah it could undermine your legacy it could create all kinds of problems but if shareholders are not happy with you um, you could find yourself out of the door mm. if employees are not happy with you uh, productivity suffers if government is not happy with you you're breaching rules, you're, you're not paying your taxes, you're not paying your social security, all kinds of things, you you will have problems. If your regulator is not happy with you, they can withdraw your license. If your clients, your customers are not happy with you, they will vote with their feet. Right. So it's a very careful balance that you, you have to, every day, you've got to manage that balance with, between all these stakeholders who have different, as you rightly put it, they have deep, different expectations, which are not necessarily complementary. Right. Sometimes they contradict each other, right. and you have to find that balance 
with the other the CEO of Stanchat is the is the chairman of the Ghana Stock Exchange, helping us to understand this whole process of grooming CEOs. Let me ask you quickly about stress, fitness, health. Do you, do you gym? Do you, do you, are you a fitness freak? Do you, do you pay attention to fitness and how important is it for the, the, the corporate leader? I wouldn't call myself a freak, but I, I do enjoy going to the gym. And sometimes I, I do it in between meetings. And if I have an evening function, I may go to the gym and freshen up again and continue the rest of the day. I enjoy doing that. I don't, I'm not always able to, to meet the expectations I have of myself, but it's, it's very important. Gym stress, corporate stress, and then also physical fitness. How important is that discussion for the emerging leader? Managing stress is very important. You, you have to be able to separate work from home. Um, you must be able to ring. I know it's not easy, but leave work behind and spend quality, quality time with your family as well. Uh, that helps. So don't carry the burdens, the problems from work and take it out on the family. I guess at the heart of it is all about equilibrium, personal equilibrium. Mm. You must have personal equilibrium if you are to survive for an extended period. If you don't have the equilibrium, um, so many other aspects of your life will begin to suffer. I guess for tonight is Kweku Beduadu, CEO of Stanchat, and he's walking us through what it takes to become CEO. He said some very important things about stakeholders, stakeholders and the key stakeholders will be working with six of them that will be working with along the line. He's mentioned them and identified them and the, the most important thing he said is that their interests are not always complementary but hey, you need to keep your eye on the ball and make sure that you are satisfying every one of these stakeholders. I think I have on the phone now Kojo Diamonds, the CEO of Databank. Kojo, good evening. Hi Albert, how are you? Very well, and you? Ah, I'm okay. I'm so excited. I'm exhilarated. I wish I was right there in the studio <laughs> as one of my mentors, actually. Look, uh, this stretches all of us in ways. Kweku has been guiding me all throughout my career. People don't know that, but he has. Right. We yeah. celebrate Kweku tonight for who, what he represents I'm to so all proud. of us. I'm so proud. I'm, I'm so, so proud of him. Right. So you, you, you manage the data bank group as CEO. Um, yeah. wh- how important is it to you that grooming different levels of leadership talent and, 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 and preparing the organization for the next level? You know, Albert, succession planning is so key. And most organizations in Ghana, especially the indigenous ones, ones that have been created by Ghanaians, fail to plan for the succession. And Every time the founder passes away, I mean, nature has it that we will all die. Once the founder passes away, that's the end of the company. And um, we've seen it happen over and over and over again. Now, Kweku, sitting there with you, is the first Ghanaian managing director of the founder chartered group in Ghana. It never happened. But it was because of a conscious effort that was put in about Maybe 15, 20 years ago, he mentioned uh, Vishnu Mohan as, uh, as MD. Uh, there was Joseph Abraham, and then there was Ebenezer Soka. I'm sure he will tell you those three MDs put processes in place that made any one of us a potential 
for MD of Sana Chapter. And we could do this. And he's done it. Today, by the grace of God, Ken has also put in processes in place that is making me step up as the successor. We need to have a program that prepares us, Ghanaians, indigenous, to prepare people to take over when we move away. So your program is so apt. It's what we need as a country to ensure that Ghanaian businesses are succeeded by Ghanaians who have the vision and the potential and the passion to take the companies into a different level. Thank you very much, Kujua Daimensa. And I'm sure that we'll be picking up the details a bit more as we go along. Let's raise Dr. Ansa on the line and let's find out how important is it. I mean, some people say, hey, let's go for the top. Must it be success at all costs? Hello, good evening, Dr. Isiasen. Good evening, Reverend. How are you, sir? Excellent, my sister. How are you, too? I'm doing well, and thanks for bringing people on. I'm enjoying the program. I'm enjoying it, too. Welcome back from Aspen. <laughs> so, how critical is uh, is this discussion? You, as a corporate uh, trainer, and very importantly, somebody who does recruitment, know the brief of companies. How important is it for a person being groomed for the position of CEO to have strong values and ethics? Mm. Um, I think one the challenges you face and the decisions you have to take, the higher you go, the more complex the decisions are. And so if you don't deliberately train yourself um, to have a true north, um, at the end of the day, it will affect you negatively. Because when you look at companies that have fallen, whether it's anyone, um, even locally, I mean, there are companies that have fallen. When you look to it, it comes down to ethics and values, principles that people adhere to. So it's really, really important. And um, I think the, the most important thing is, one, the self-discovery, knowing who you are, knowing that, look, here are my weaknesses and um, I need to work on them. Here are my strengths. I need to leverage them. And then having principles that will guide you, you know. And once you go through that self-discovery, you're more aware of yourself and of the slippery slopes for you. And you safeguard yourself against those. I think it's really, really critical for um, leaders, not just business leaders, anybody who's looking to influence um, and to bring about change. Let me, let me ask you a, a direct question. What's the cost to the emerging leader or the leader of having questionable ethics values? What, what is the cost? I mean, people sometimes assume that once you are good technically, you can, you can, you can, you can somehow meander or, or, mm. or find your way through and then get to the top somehow, some way. But mm. what is the cost when people don't have strong personal ethics and values? Um, the cost is a loss of everything. Um, the potential cost is losing, well, losing yourself is the worst, I think, um, where you get to the point where you live in self-deception, thinking you're an angel when you're not. <laughs> um, but the cost as a business leader, you lose good people around you. Right. You lose your business or your enterprise, whatever it is you're working to build. You can easily lose through one unethical decision. One decision? Just one simple decision can pull everything you've worked hard for. It can pull it down. You know, so as for the cost, um, whether you measure it in terms of finances, whether you measure it in terms of your own reputation, it can even be measured in sleep. You know, sometimes you start losing sleep because of one decision that you made. I know. You know, 
And so it's, it's absolutely critical because the cost is so high. A good name is better than all the degrees and riches and all those things. Good name, sleep well at night, that's great. Um, and those things can cost you. Thank you very much, Dr. Siasa. A good name, you sleep well at night, and that's great. I like the way you ended it. A good name, you sleep well at night, and that's great. Thank you, AC. We'll be picking up the details a bit more as we build up. Ethics and values are not just about morality. It's also about standard, your personal standards of work. If you are a punctual person and you will make it at all costs on time, it is part of your values. If you are somebody who will never disappoint a client, it's also part of your values. So don't only look at one dimension of ethics and values. That is the moral dimension. It's a, a bigger discussion than that as proved. Quickly, let me come back to you and talk about how this whole thing influences you as a person. Many people have met to interact. You talk about your passion for developing other people. Are you, is it because you are a beneficiary of other people coaching you, helping you? You seem to be very passionate about developing people. Has it been influenced by your own experience? Yes, uh, people have reached out and helped me along my journey. But I think, I mean, I'm motivated by a bigger picture of something bigger than me personally. I think that a lot of our woes in, in Africa, in the developing world, um, it's avoidable. I really think it's avoidable if we manage ourselves better. And you think developing people is the key? Obviously. You came, here with, you came here with a son today, and I've been watching him quietly. He's watching you taking notes as you speak. I had a privilege of watching my son speak a year ago, last year, April, and by the time he finished speaking, I said, this guy speaks better than me, and I felt so proud that he, he, he was a much better speaker than, than I am. The way this young man is looking at you, I get the impression that you are coaching him. Is, is that a correct notion? Well, I think I give him the guidance any parent will give, you know, the same guidance I had for my parents. I think his mom and I also try to give all of them that, that guidance and the anchor and the compass they need to take their own decisions. Let me give him the last minute of today's program. Kwesi Beduado, the son of of, of Beduado. Kwesi, let me ask you, your own career journey, how are you seeing it pan out? Have you been heavily influenced by your father? Yeah, definitely. Um, My dad told all of us pretty much what he's been saying today as, as long as I can remember stressing on things like integrity, hard work, um, determination, focus, um, seeing it to us in all aspects of life and in the hope that we would know when it was important to use each of these. So whether I was playing football at home, he would teach us how to you know, play with excellence, um, whether it was doing chores at home, whether it was studying for exams, there's always been an underlining lesson to learn and to apply in the greater scheme of things. And um, having finished university, I've used all of these to get to where I am and hopefully to propel me further. Ten years from now, how will Kwesi Beduado be? Well, uh, I think I still have to spend more time figuring out, you know, where I want to go. But I definitely feel like ten years from now, anything is possible. Anything is possible at all with the right attitude. So... Ask me in 10 years' time, I'll probably review what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. 10 seconds, w- what would you tell parents in terms of what it takes to coach your own children to become great? I think be a part of your children's lives. My, my parents have been a part of 
almost every aspect of my life, whether it was schoolwork, friends, my interests, they always followed up on my on on our lives. So um, I think parents being a part of their children's lives and even when it may seem annoying, just showing that they care, that can that can lift a child to do anything that they, they believe they can. Right. The child can do it. And the words of Kwesi Beduado, the son of Kweku Beduado, God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you. Good night. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Arbet and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Arbet and E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences, and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus 233-2499-99000. You may also subscribe to www.albertokran.com Amazon.com or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, always remember you are blessed indeed. No more